Uh, this is perhaps, I think, the eighth lesson on In the Last Days. And I had to say to the tape and CD ministry people that really I don't know how far this is going to go because it can go on in such a way that it could take weeks and weeks to cover this subject. And you already know that there are volumes of books and commentaries and all kinds of other resources that are replete with information on the last days. But as I study it, the more I study it, the more I feel I've got to share one more thing with you. And last Sunday I talked to you about the tribulation. And I said to you that the tribulation is going to be so intense, so violent, so chaotic, until it will seem like all hell breaks loose. And that's how I subtitled this lesson. Let me give you just a moment of a review. And I don't want to get caught up in the review for lack of moving on. We've been studying about the rapture and second coming. And we talked about the first coming of Jesus taking place when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. That's the first coming of Jesus. We told you that he went away and said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again. I won't tell you the exact day or the exact hour, but I'll show you signs. I'll put signs in the heavens, signs on the earth, signs on the sea, signs in the clouds, in the stars, I should say. I'll put signs among human nature and the behavior of humans, and you will know that my coming is near. We are in the church age. Again, I'm just reviewing. The church age began on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the worshipers and the disciples in particular in Jerusalem, in a place that is identified as the upper room. Jesus said, don't leave and preach the gospel until you receive the Holy Spirit And you can go out in that power. And that began the church age, 2,009 years, according to our calendar. The church age can end today by the event known as the rapture. You see it on the the timeline, more the graph here. The rapture, you see a kind of a U-turn of an arrow. Amen? Because the rapture is the first of the two phases of the second return of Jesus. When he comes in the rapture, he's going to come in the clouds. He won't come back to the earth. And he's going to call up. Rapture means snatched up, caught away. He's going to call up. It could happen today. There are no more signs, please. No more signs left to be fulfilled for the rapture that takes place. Where that means all those who died in anticipation that Jesus would come while they were alive because they were serving Jesus. They're dead. They will be caught up first. They'll be transformed. They'll be given a new body as they go in the air. Their body, resurrected, will meet their soul coming down and they unite as you and I, alongside them, who are alive, if it happens today, will be caught up. That's the rapture. After the rapture, the saints, you are saved, are going to be in heaven with the Lord for seven years. During that time, we'll experience what is known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. God's got a plan during those seven years in heaven for us getting us ready to come back to earth to rule and reign with him. So we're going to have seven years of, of discipleship, judgment, purifying. I don't mean from sin. I just mean the way God prepares us to rule. You can't go into rapture if you've got sin. Okay, you already, if you're up there, you're up there. Somebody say amen. amen. You ain't going to say, oops, we got the wrong one. Go back. <laughs> so we're up there seven years. Down here, seven years will be, see what I have? Tribulation. Okay? Tribulation meaning that after this, about a billion people are raptured from this world. 
A man's going to come to power who's going to be like the answer for all the world's problems. He's going to be called a man of peace. He's going to be seen like the Messiah. He is going to be given supernatural power to do miracles. But his power will come from the devil. Because the devil has a counterfeit for every good and pure thing that God does. And he's going to, he's going to, he's going to solve world hunger for a time. He's going to solve terrorism for a time being. He's going to solve the world economic problems for a time being. For a short season, it seems like there'll be no war, but just only a short season, because he'll be seen as the Messiah by the world. Israel in particular, because he will cause Israel and the Palestinians, the Arabs, to have a peace treaty that he'll say will last seven years. And no other world ruler has ever been able to produce peace in the Middle East, but he will. But in that seven and a half, seven years, seven years tribulation, during the half time of that, he will have so much power, so much clout, so much influence, he'll demand that the world worship him, including the Jews. And they'll realize he's lying and he's deceiving and he's the Antichrist. Okay? All that's going on. Now, here's what happens. During that seven years, there'll be great turmoil on the world. Even though this man comes on the scene, he'll be demanded... To be worshipped as God, he'll ask, not ask, he'll eventually make everybody take a mark. It's known as the mark of the beast. It most likely will be a chip, a computer chip, very small, put under your skin of your hand or on the forehead. So you want to take around your billfold, your wallets, your purses, your identification. No one you feel subject to being robbed because you won't have cash on your cards or anything like that. And the only, only way you can sell, trade, buy gasoline, buy food, uh, do whatever, any, have any produce or any kind of products to live with, is that you have to have the mark of the beast. But everybody who takes the mark of the beast will be doomed without Christ. And tribulation will begin and continue. Tribula- the tribulation is called by several titles, and I'm not going to take the time. I preached this last week, so I'm not going to take the, title, the time to preach it again for the sake of needing to move on. But these are some of the descriptions of what the tribulation is going to be like. The day of the Lord, the great day of His wrath, the time of trouble, tribulation. Now, I told you last week that there's a reason for the tribulation. Is God sort of a sick, masochistic kind of God who wants to see people suffer? No, there's a reason for the tribulation. There's a reason why God is going to judge the world like He's going to judge the world while we, the saints, are in heaven and seven years down here. And, and it has to do with several words, and I'm not going to preach it again. Get the CD from last week if you're interested. One of the reasons is God's going to prove His sovereignty during the tribulation. Because ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden and Satan took control of the world, the prince of the power of the air, he's been trying to rule the world and rule God. And man's been trying to be God. Let me hear somebody. And at the tribulation, God's going to say, you know what? You're not God, I'm God. I reign and you don't, and I'll show you that. Somebody say amen. There's another word, utility. The utility, this word comes to mind because the word tribulation comes from the word tribulum, which is a farming tool that is used to separate corn from husk, corn husk, okay? And what God is going to do is use the tribulation and the judgments of the tribulation while we're in heaven to separate good and evil from the world like a farming tool separates the husk and the corn. Can I get an amen here? And God's going to separate the wheat and the tear. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. Another word is fidelity. The tribulation is going to prove God's faithfulness. Israel's going to think they're forgotten by God. But when they repent, God's going to be there for them. Can I get an amen? 
Fidelity means that God said to Israel through Abraham, long many years ago, for you and I were born, that he said to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a nation. The number of the people of the nation is so numerous, they're as numerous as the stars of the heaven or the sand of the sea. And although Israel has been persecuted even this past Monday at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., a a white racist man goes there and tries to kill African Americans and Jews because hate still reigns against the Jews. But God is going to say, I am going to take care of my people because I told them I would and I'll be faithful to them. Yeah. Finality, the tribulation will bring the final judgments of God. And God will say, it's enough. You've mocked my son enough. You have blasphemed my word enough. You have desecrated the cross enough. You have cursed my blood enough. And I'm closing the curtain on human history because enough is enough. Righteousness will reign. There's another word for the tribulation. Why? It's eternity. You see, when the judgments of God are finished during the seven years of tribulation, then all of humanity is moving into eternity at the end of the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, there is the battle of Armageddon, where the forces of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophets, the false unholy trinity, will meet the real holy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. At the battle of Armageddon, at the end of the seven years of tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come back on a white horse with a robe of white, and you and I are going to come with him with the armies of heaven, and we're going to meet the armies of Satan, and by the word of the mouth of Jesus, Satan is going to be bound, and the Antichrist Christ and the beast and they're going to be cast in a bottomless pit and we are going to go in 1,000 years of millennium and peace. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Then there's a sixth reason for the tribulation. Reality is going to set in. The whole world is going to know that the devil is what God always said he was. He's a thief and a liar and a murderer. The devil will, 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 will throw you a little lure to make you think that sin is wonderful and not damaging. Can I get an amen here? The devil will ter- throw you a little lure to make you think that, that uh, drugs and alcohol and, and, and sexual immorality is where you ought to be. The devil will throw you a little lure to make you think that power and prestige and, and, and education alone, that you don't need God. He'll throw you something out there and make you think you're some great somebody. But the devil's ultimate aim is to destroy everything that God created. And you and I were created by God and the devil hates us. But the battle does not belong to the devil It belongs to the Lord, and if you'll serve the Lord, you are on the winning side. Hallelujah to Jesus. This is what the tribulation is going to sum up. The whole thought of the tribulation is summed up in each letter of these six words. The first letter, S-U-F-F-E-R, suffering or suffer like this world has never known. Now, when I left this message last week, I spoke to you. I'll begin to speak to you about three major judgments coming upon the earth during the tribulation. Now listen to this. If you're born again, you are not going to be here. I'm not going to be here. Okay? If you're not born again and backslidden, you'll be left behind and you will be here. And you'll wish that you were not here. So I'm telling you this this morning in case the devil's trying to throw you a, a lure of some kind to walk away on God, from God and from your salvation. And live like the devil. I'm telling you, don't do it because evil days worse than now is coming. And I'm also telling you this because you and I as born again believers have a responsibility to tell everybody around us about the love of God. And about the coming judgment of God. Can I get an amen? 
Okay? God has sufficiently given us over 2,009 years. If you ain't getting ready now, then you ain't ever going to get ready. I'm not saying you're that old, but I'm saying in your lifetime, if you got any kind of sense and you know right from wrong, if you're not getting ready today, then my friends, you are wasting time and headed into eternity without hope. But there is hope. Now, these judgments I'm going to show you are three major judgments. Okay? Three major judgments. You read in the book of Revelation. When you read the book of Revelation, you see all these symbols, all these descriptions, all these terms. And you think, why did God put that here? There's a reason. But sometimes we can't understand it because the man writing it is known as John, the revelator. And he wrote it as God showed it to him while he was a prisoner on an island in the Mediterranean Sea known as the Isle of Patmos. And the man writing it wrote to his contemporaries, not to 2009. He wrote to the first century, their thinking, their understanding. And he described some things that sound weird to us and may have sound weird to them, but he was only talking upon their knowledge at that time. Now we are 2,000 approximately years removed, and we can, as we read it, we can see what the symbols mean because we've had these years to see the unfolding of, of war instruments, of missiles, of bombs, of volcanoes, of hurricanes, of tornadoes, of poison, of terrorism. We've seen the unfolding of those things in our life, and now we can make an identification with what John was talking about. And when I talked to you last, let, let me hasten then. I told you about seven sealed judgments. And I'm going to put them up here very quickly because I'm not going to preach them again. It will only cause me to get bogged down and not move ahead because I need to cover some territory. Last week I talked about these. The sealed judgments. During the seven years, three groups of judgments, each having seven components. Okay? Look at chapter 8, verse number 1. Everybody there say amen. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven... For about a half hour. Let, let me show you what this means. When I say seal judgments, you got to understand, it's like you receiving a letter sealed. Okay? And it's written to you. And maybe it's a letter of, with high degree of importance and they may have signed it certified mail. So you got to sign for it. Okay? And you are the only one permitted to sign for it and to open it. Everybody following me so far? So you can unseal it. And we trust that when you unseal it and you read it, it's not a judgment but a blessing. Can I get an amen? Well, God, through John the Revelator, has shown him that he is going to cause seven judgments to be unsealed upon the earth during the tribulation. And he's going to send an angel to unseal each of these judgments upon the earth. And the first you see here, which we talked about, are on the screen up to seven, but we at number seven and it's silence now. Seven has been opened and you see what they represent. This 30 minutes, the Bible says, about a half an hour silence in heaven, probably means a couple of things. It probably means that a merciful God waits for earth's inhabitants to repent. One would think that after the Antichrist and his work and war and famine and death and the martyrdom of people who get saved... And earthquakes and cosmic calamity from these first six seals un unglued. That people will say, you know what? The preacher was right. I'm in the tribulation. And I better turn my heart to God. Some, one would think that God pauses before the other judgment to give people a time to reflect and think. Get it right now. So you don't have to go into all these other judgments. 
Here's what I'm saying. It will be difficult to get saved if you're left behind. But you can get saved. You can. And if you get saved though, you're going to have to, in order to go to heaven and you admit that you're saved, the Antichrist is going to kill you. Because he's going to have secret service agents. He's going to have you marked. He's going to have you identified. The world is already set up, church, where one man can rule the world. The world's already set up. The government know more about you than you probably know about yourself. Don't, don't come in here thinking, well, no, that can't be done. No. Your social security number, your bank numbers, all your other numbers, what you buy, what you sell, your car, the kind of car you drive, the place you grocery shop, all these things are already under control. The government knows. All. So I'm saying to you this morning that that, that is already on in place where one man can rule the world. And maybe by then God is saying that people will realize that this is not the Christ, the Antichrist, and they'll repent. But they don't repent. Because the devil continues to work in darkness. And then the Bible then introduces us to seven angels who will blow seven trumpets. And each trumpet representing a judgment. Everybody still with me? Say amen. amen. Because you remember in the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, when they didn't have sound systems, obviously. And they didn't have bullhorns and mass media communication systems. In the Old Testament, if they needed to gather the people together from all the tribes for a time of instruction, someone would blow a trumpet and it'd come. And this person may go to a hill or a mountaintop and the sound of the trumpet, the length of the sound and the intonation of the trumpet sound will indicate whether we come into church or whether an enemy is approaching and you need to take cover or whether you need to go and arm yourself to defend yourself to go out to battle. Can I get an Amen. Okay, these seven trumpets being blown during the seven years represents the coming judgment of God during the tribulation, known as the trumpet judgments. You see the first of them in verse number six and verse number seven. Look at chapter eight. If you're there, say amen. Amen. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and hail, H-A-I-L, hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and green grass was burned up. This is what this means. One third of all the trees and the grass will be burned up during this judgment on the earth. Earth is the place of humanity's rebellion. On the earth where you and I dwell is where Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Can I get an amen? So God is even going to judge the earth. And can you imagine what's going to happen when one-third of all the grass and the trees are consumed and the oxygen that people need to breathe will now be even more restricted? It will create great chaos. There's a second judgment coming in the tribulation known as the trumpet judgment. And it talks about a burning mountain, which you read about in verse 8. If you dare say amen. Then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, pause a moment and look here. And let me see if I can explain for you. One third of the sea becomes blood. One third of the sea life in the sea dies. And one third ships in the sea are destroyed. Pastor, what could possibly do this? This could possibly be a volcanic eruption. It could even be a nuclear explosion in the sea. What do you mean, Pastor? It, I mean that while you and I are here in service, there are submarines armed with nuclear warheads by strong nations like America, Russia, etc. And 
One could be discharged, either accidentally or intentionally, and cause death in the sea of one-third of sea life and destroy one-third of the vessels on the sea. Or it could even be, the Bible talks about a mountain falling in the sea. If God wants to cast a mountain in the sea, He's God and He could judge. And so, here's, I'm saying to you, all these things coming upon the earth, there's a third trumpet that will sound. And it talks about it in verses 10 and 11, chapter 8. Look in your Bibles and listen to what it says. Verse 10. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters become Wormwood and many men died from the water because it was bitter. So here's what you have. You have already the salt water polluted. And one third of it turns to blood. Now you have the fresh waters. The rivers are polluted. The springs are polluted. One third of each. And this again could be a meteorite that hits the earth. Or it could be a missile warhead. And this missile warhead could be armed with nuclear or biological weaponry. We already know. We, we, we live in a world of uncertainty. We already know that there are many people who hate God and many people who hate America and hate Israel and have hate of all kinds in their life. And we, we already know that there are some religions in the world who perpetuate the destruction of anybody who is not a believer. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Okay? I don't mean everybody in that religion perpetuates it, but we know the extremism in, 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 in religions in the world, and more particularly I'm talking about Islam right now, who think that unless you are a believer in Muhammad and, a, and uh, the, the Prophet uh, Muhammad as well as you are a believer in Allah, you're okay, but if you're not, their mission is to make us one, and if we're not, then it's okay to kill us. And so you know that our government has to protect our drinking water. How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that there are biological and chemical weapons that can be distributed in the air? Or, and it's already been done. It's been done in tunnels and subways in different parts of the world. It's been done. And, and some, the problem of, of biological weaponry being used in water, you won't know it is destructive until thousands, maybe millions have died. This kind of judgment is coming to the earth. Let me, let me show you something else. The fourth trumpet sounds. And look at verse 12. Everybody in your Bibles, verse 12, say Amen. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Look at me and hear me now. Pastor, this is so far-fetched. I don't ever think this is going to be even possible. Let me ask you a question. Have we had volcanic eruptions already in the past that have destroyed and, and, and darkened the sky and darkened the, the certain parts of the, the world where the breathing was difficult? Have we, had, uh, diff- have we had enough wars to create enough fallouts to do all kinds of ecological damage? Are, are you with me here? As I was sharing this this morning, at the end of the second first service, a lady came to me and said, Pastor, on yesterday's news, or might have been a Friday, Fox News revealed that it's been discovered that Mount St. Helens that erupted a few years ago. You remember Mount St. Helens, Washington State? The most, perhaps the most devastating and catastrophic volcanic eruption in America. Where plumes of ashes and smoke and lava, especially ashes and smoke, went miles and miles and miles into the sky. We have men in our church and women who are airline pilots. 
And, and if they, they will tell you that they have to find a way to circumnavigate those things. It doesn't just stay in the atmosphere for 30 minutes or an hour or a day. Anybody hearing me? It will stay in the atmosphere for weeks and months. And someone told me that Mount St. Helen, according to the geologists and ecologists, is poised now to erupt in a more massive scale than ever before. Mount St. Helen, I'm told, is connected by way of the networks of the caves and passageways and caverns and openings under the earth is connected to Yellowstone National Park. And so if you do a little study, you'll find out. I was told by one of our brothers in the service prior that according to the news, the only reason that Yellowstone National Park did not erupt or haven't erupted yet is because Mount St. Helen was the exhaust of the potential of destruction if Yellowstone Park is erupted and becomes volcanic. Because all of Yellowstone Park is small, miniature, volcanic uh, potential eruptions. And when that happens, when that happens, a great portion of America and a large portion of uh, uh, Midwestern states and Western states, and as you move out to the West, will be devastated by way of agriculture, by way of climate, and all kinds of change. What I'm saying to you, what John read and wrote about 2,000 years ago, is not beyond belief or description. We are living in that day and time, and I'm saying to you that you, if you're not ready, it's time to get ready. If you are ready, you ought to praise the Lord and say, thank you, God, for the warning. But you know, in the midst of all this, people still refuse to repent. During the tribulation, when all this judgment's coming down, and people say, Pastor Allen was right, but he's not here now. My mother's right, but she's not here now. My grandfather was right. My Sunday school teacher was right. I saw the slide. I saw the video. I saw the movie. And I should have repented. And now they have a chance to repent. You know what's going to happen during the, the tribulation? The devil's going to be so calculating, so cold, so dastardly, so out to kill you, that he'll harden the hearts and make people hate God even more. So, my friends, if, you, if you're going to get ready, today is the day to get ready. There are three more trumpet judgments that John calls the three woes. The next three judgments are called the three woes. Because they are so painful, so devastating, they're so climatic in their destruction, until they're called woe, like somebody grieving. Okay, let me show you what I mean. Verse 13, chapter 8. Are you there? And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of the heavens, saying with a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Let me show you then if you, if I will, and I need to have you look at chapter 9 and the first few verses because this is the fifth trumpet that will sound. And it talks about the fifth angel sounded, verse 1. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. We'll go back and forth. Look at me just a minute. This star, most likely... Fallen from heaven to earth is Satan. And a key is given to unlock the bottomless pit. Until this time, Jesus has the key of the bottomless pit. Because you remember when he was crucified and buried, the Bible said he went into the heart of the earth and preached and set captivity, uh, those who were under captivity free and preached to those who were imprisoned and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he's had them ever since, but because of the blatant coldness and rejection and hardness of man's heart at the tribulation and even now in our present day God's going to allow Satan to have the key for a season look what's going to happen Satan's going to do verse 2 chapter 1 chapter 9 pardon me chapter 9 verse 2 and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose from the pit like the smoke of a great furnace 
So the sun and the air were darkened by because of the smoke of the pit. Verse 3. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the locusts, as scorpions. The scorpions of the earth have power. Verse 4. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Verse 5. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months, church. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Hey, look, look at me a minute. Don't call me a wimp or a sissy. But I don't like scorpions. I don't like lizards. I don't like cockroaches. I, I, I don't like spiders. But I've killed a host of spiders for my daughters. <laughs> Amazing how you can be somebody's hero. I've had people call me to kill a snake and I'm deathly scared of snakes. I remember living in one of our other homes and a lady from the back behind our home called me and coming over one morning. My wife was already going to work and all. And she, I knew her from a bookstore. She's a Christian lady. And, oh, she said, Pastor, there's a snake on my porch. And can you come and kill it? I'm thinking, oh, God. <laughs> Who's going to give me CPR after I try to kill this snake? <laughs> and I say that lightly, but I say this seriously also because look at what the Bible describes. The Bible says... When Satan goes to unlock the bottomless pit at this judgment, the first, he's going to unchain demons and demonic angels that God had chained up. Jesus had changed up, chained up at creation and after creation, after Satan fell. Let me clarify again, okay? I know if I'm confused, then you're somewhere else. But I'm not going to be confused. Let me clarify. Let me reiterate. When Satan fell, when Satan rebelled against God, back before your time and mine, before Adam and Eve in the garden, we wouldn't now. One third of all the angels in heaven rebelled with him and fell. And God chained a large portion of them up in the earth because God would not allow Satan's cohorts and demons and angels to rule over all the earth. Because we, you and I wouldn't be living right now. This earth would have already been destroyed if Satan had his way and God didn't pull in the reins. But during this trumpet judgment, Satan with the key is going to unlock all the remaining chained demons and angels to have their way on the earth. You don't want to be here. Somebody say, I'm not going to be here. I believe you. Now listen, what's going to happen is they're going to be scorpion-like demons. They're going to be, and John describes it because that's all he knew to describe things. He said, he talks about... They're going to have the capacity, scorpion-like insects or, or it may, you know, it may be something else. It could be a virus of some kind. It could be an, something that, that attacks the person. It doesn't have to be a scorpion, literally, okay? Because we know there are strange diseases out there. And it's, it is going to attack those. And I, I want to be sure. It says here in verse number 4... It will not harm the grass or the earth. One third of that will already be destroyed. How many know what I'm talking about? But only those who have the seal of the mark of the beast, who are not serving the Lord, and we'll see later, will be judged in this kind of attack. But I'll take you further in a moment. There will be 144,000 Jews during the tribulation that God sets aside that will have the seal of God. 
that the Antichrist is going to try to kill all the Jews, but God's going to take 12,000 from each, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, and God's going to separate them and protect them, and the Antichrist won't have anything to do to hurt them, although he tries, and God's going to put a seal on them, and this kind of judgment won't come to them. Let me, let me move you further. It talks about the sixth trumpet, and it says here in chapter 9, verses 13 and following, of, follow with me as I, as I read. Chapter 9, verse 13. Are you there? Say amen. Then the sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who abound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Verse 16. Now the number of the army of the horsemen who was 200 million... I heard the number of them. Okay, I'll pause there. Look what's happening. In this sixth trumpet judgment, what you find is God returns the focus of the world to the area of what used to be Persia, which is present-day Iran. God returns the focus of the world there at the river Euphrates because that's where... Sin had its origination in the Garden of Eden. And what God is doing here is letting us know that in that spot in the world, witchcraft and demonism and darkness and the occult had its beginning. And therefore God is going to pronounce judgment in that part of the world. And eventually in that part of the world, where you see in verse 16, a 200 million man army is going to converge to fight. To fight what? To fight the greatest of all battles of human history. The battle of Armageddon. And out of this particular area, nations and governments and military leaders will come at the end of the tribulation from the east, west, north and south and meet in a place called Megiddo. The Valley of Megiddo. In a battle called the Battle of Armageddon that I'll describe next week as I try to wrap up this series. But God will also judge this place at this time in this sixth trumpet judgment. The seventh trumpet is a third woe. Preparations for the final judgment. What happens here is, let me pause to say, when you read the book of Revelations... Sometimes you'll find that God gave John a revelation about a particular thing. And he doesn't complete it, but he pauses and takes him to another thought. Sort of a parenthetical. Okay. So here we are. Six trumpets blown. But now we've got to go over a couple chapters to find out about the seventh trumpet. Because there's a parenthetical, a pause here where God describes something else to John that he needs to know at that time. We won't go into that part, but go to chapter 11, please. Here is a seven of the seven trumpet judgment. Verse number 14, if you're there, say amen. The second war is passed. Behold, the third war is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Look, look at this now. I want to read the rest, but I want you to see this. In the midst of all these judgments, at the end of 
the seven trumpets, we already had the seal. God's going to open up the heavens, allow the earth beneath to see that He's still in charge, allow those of us in heaven with Him to see He's still in charge, and allow all those who are around the throne of God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 30 to 31 days a month, Long before you and I were born and our parents, there have been angels and cherubims and seraphims and, and four and twenty elders and myriads of choirs of angels worshiping God and honoring God because He's sovereign. In the midst of these judgments, God's going to open up the heavens. Look at verse 16, chapter 11. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their throne fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and the one who was and is to come. Somebody say amen. Because you have taken... You have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and saints. And those who fear your name, small and great. And should destroy those who destroy the earth. Look at verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and noises and thundering and earthquake and great hail. Somebody say amen. Have you ever wondered when God can get even with sinners? Have you ever wondered when God's going to get even with child molesters and murderers and rapists? Anybody hearing me here this morning? Have you ever wondered when God's going to get even with men like Adolf Hitler and men like Saddam Hussein and all the other... Pre- have, you ever, have you ever seen people go to their grave of no people go to their grave and they thought they escaped man and they escaped the court system and they probably did? But I'm telling you that there's coming a day. This song, this, this praise comes to God because everyone who has shook their finger in the face of God, everyone who has abused a child or a woman or a man or a senior adult who has cursed God and cursed the church and blasphemed the the Bible and said to God, to hell with you. God is going to have the final say because He's righteous and He's holy and His justice is pure. Somebody praise the Lord. Yes. Yes. The more we live in sinful, wicked America, the more America shakes its fist in the, in the face of God. The more God says that, that marriage is one man with one woman for life, the more Hollywood and California and New York and somebody else, including Dick Cheney, comes along and says, it's okay for one man to be with another man in marriage and one woman to be another woman. And we have all kind of corruption and confusion about the family. But God has a description and God has a judgment day. And while He gives time for people to repent there's still time he is going to close the curtain one day and said it's over judgment begins and I'm spending all this time this morning not to convince you that's going to happen but to convince you that you better get ready because God's not going to ask Congress to vote before he sends Jesus Christ God's not going to ask the European economic community whether they're ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. He's not going to ask the Queen of England or anybody else whether they're ready for His Son to come back. God has a timetable. And when He gets ready, you better be ready. Somebody praise the Lord. I've got to show you seven other judgments real quick. I'm not trying to scare you to death. But if I scare you to heaven, you'll be well served. Look at chapter 16. We skip again because John has a pause, a parenthetical, from 11 to 16. And there are three, there, there are one more, there's just one more time of judgment to come that includes the three I talked about. 
seals, trumpets, and bowls. Okay? With me still now? During the tribulation, people are thinking, I think I'll get saved in the tribulation. I'll go to church. Listen, I said this last week, but I'll say it again. Folks ain't going to go to church now with a little puny headache and sinus and toe ache and belly ache and marriage ache and money ache and lust ache. Talking you're going to get saved during the tribulation when all the Spirit of God is gone and you're going to get saved by your blood. If, if you're going to do it, you, now is accepted time. Don't fool yourself. You're not that strong. You're not that religious. You're not that self-disciplined. When the whole world's pressuring you that you've got to take a mark, or you've got to take a chip, or you've got to take some of your skin to buy gasoline to get food, to feed your baby, to feed your family. Once you take it, you're out of the kingdom. You don't have to even go near that. Serve God now. Chapter 16, verse 2. I need to hurry. This is the beginning of the bowl judgments, where God pours out of the wrath on the earth, symbolic of a bowl pouring out its content. Verse 1, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go out and pour the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. Look at verse 2. So the first went out and poured out this bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. I jumped ahead of myself earlier when I said to you that only those who have the mark of the beast are going to be afflicted. This is the place where they will be. On this judgment. Everybody, everybody be afflicted with this, okay? But, but in this particular time, only those for this one judgment. Everybody will suffer the consequence of the judgment of God. But for this particular judgment, those with the mark of the beast, full of sores and pain and agony and disease. And we know, we, we, we know that communicable diseases are still around. We know as advanced as the CDC is, they don't have the answer either. You don't want to be here. Let me show you, let me show you the second. Are you still with me, everybody? Look at verse 3, please. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Can you imagine that? Sea life. I saw the guy Denson. Ted Denson. Denson is his name. I saw him this week, just by chance on TV. Is that a person acting in Ted Denson? Come on, help me out here. You folks know what you've been laughing at. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, He's taking up a cause to preserve ocean life. I don't know if you all saw it. He was on a, was an interview uh, one morning. It might have been on CNN. He was uh, he's taken up a cause as an actor to preserve. He said human life, pardon me, back up, animal life in the ocean as we know it is being depleted rapidly by man's greed, pollution, etc. When the seas become blood, all animals will be destroyed. How can that happen, Pastor? Did God turn the Nile into blood? Can he do it again if he wants? Judgment. Rivers become blood. Verse 4 to 7. Okay, I won't read that, but you know it's there. So now you, we still had fresh water. Those who were alive still had fresh water to drink if the sea become blood. But now all rivers and streams are contaminated. The judgment of the bowls. The sun becomes scorching. You know, we, we hear a lot about green stuff now and preserving the... Environment, I'm all about it, okay? I'm all about preserving the environment, protecting the environment. I'm not sure I know everything I need to know to be convinced about global warming, but I'm studying and learning, okay? Okay? So here's what I'm saying is, we have so polluted our world already until we are causing the intensity of the sun and the rays of the sun on your person, unprotected. See? I was born without hair, and there was a time in my life when I had hair. 
And now I got a solar panel going on. <laughs> See? And I can stay out in the sun just a few minutes, you know, because of my skin pigmentation. And there he goes. But here's what I'm saying. There'll come a time when the sun is so scorching that no sun of protection is going to protect. Because the whole atmosphere has been destroyed by nuclear fallout, by natural disasters. The fifth of the seven bowls poured out will be darkness. I don't know whether this will be darkness like Jesus, pardon me, like in the days of Noah, Moses. I'm going to get there. I'm trying to get too much said and too quick, so I'm missing out. Pray for me, somebody. Okay? I don't know if this is going to be darkness like Egypt. Moses. Got the right people? Right place? Help me out. Remember when God sent a plague on the earth? In Pharaoh's domain? In Egypt? And everything was black? Couldn't even see their hand before their face? God can do that too. But you know what else can cause that darkness? Nuclear fallout. Volcanic eruption. Darkened the skies and the heavens for months at a time. The sixth bowl is Euphrates River dries up. You read about that in chapter 16, verses 12 and following. Look at chapter 16, verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters were dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Let me show you what's happening here. This is the last, near the end, if you will, of the three major judgments, seal, trumpet, and bowls. Euphrates River dry up. The seventh bowl is poured out, verses 17 to 21. And on the earth there will be thundering, lightnings, and earthquakes like never known before. But listen to this. Back to the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River and the region I described earlier is where sin was birthed in the Garden of Eden. And it all end there. Because when the Euphrates Rivers dry up, the Euphrates River... Runs 1,800 miles. It is about 30 feet deep in many places and 3,600 feet wide. And why is it going to dry up, Pastor? Because God is going to make it a marching path for the armies of the east, west, north, and south. The Euphrates River separated the eastern civilization and western civilization as we know it today. But in order for the armies of 200 million man armies from nations all over the world to get to Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, they've got to cross the river. Now, did God dry up the Red Sea? Can he dry up another place if he wants to? Did God dry up the Jordan River? Can he dry it up again? Okay. Here's where it'll all end. It'll end at the... End of the seven judgments of the seven bowls. When the armies of the Antichrist, because the Antichrist will have enemies during the tribulation. Not everybody's going to worship the Antichrist. They'll say, hey, we don't mind you giving us oil and we don't mind you giving us food and all, but you telling us to be, you're going to be our God, we worship you? Forget that. So there are going to be armies coming to fight the Antichrist. But all of a sudden he's going to say to them, you know what? The Antichrist is going to say, you know what, guys? Let's don't fight each other. This Jesus thing. Jesus is coming back. Because he's going to make his presence known. He's going to open up the heavens. So the Antichrist is going to even say to his enemies. We've been fighting each other for a long time and getting nowhere. Why don't we get together now? 
and once and for all stamp out this Messiah, Jesus. Our God is Satan, he'll say. Our God is the God of this world, the devil. If we'll all come together, we'll once and for all get rid of these hymn singers and Bible toters and gospel preaching. But just about the time when this 200 million man army, and then they will, the, the desire will be, and I'll preach more about this next week if, if the Lord leads me there, to completely wipe out Israel and wipe out everything about Christ. But the Bible says that in the nick of time, when it looks like the Antichrist is going to have the last say, the armies of heaven are coming. God is going to send his son Jesus on a white horse with a white robe, with a crown of righteousness, with a scepter of righteousness. On his thighs, on his robe and his garment will be written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you and I are going to come down. We've been there for seven years. We've been up there seven years at Mary's Supper of the Lamb. We're coming down with a robe of white, white and white horses. And we're coming to do war against the Antichrist and Satan. Somebody thinking, I ain't never been to military training. I've never been to youth camp, boot camp, or youth camp. You won't have to be, because you won't be doing the fighting. Out of the word of the mouth of Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Yeah. So, I'm wrapping up this lesson with this statement or question. Why people who know the gospel, why do they choose not to know Christ? Listen to me. You know, brothers and sisters, that if everybody who got saved during the history of this church's existence, this church has been in existence for 34 years. I've been the pastor for 24. If everybody, and we were not always here, okay? We were down the road and now we're here. We have three services on Sunday morning. That schedule changes next week. 9 o'clock and 11, okay? Just two for the summer. But here's my point. If everybody who got saved in these altars or altars of our other building before we came here stayed saved, we would have thousands of people to seat every Sunday. We'd have a mega church. But not everybody who knows the gospel chose to keep serving the Lord. Because the devil is a deceiving, lying devil. Why, why, why do people know what I'm preaching already and know the judgment is coming and don't serve God? Why, why, does people, why do people think they're an exception? Huh? Why do people think uh, they know about hell, they know about heaven, they know about Jesus, they know about his blood, they know about demons, they know about the devil, they know about violence and war, they know about hate and murder, and they know there's a way out, salvation, they know about eternal life. And their grandma told them, or their mother told them, or their preacher told them, and they know about how God can relieve their sin and give them peace, and they still don't serve the Lord. You know what it amounts to? It amounts to rebellion. Anybody here? Anybody understand? Pastor, I'm not a rebellious person. I'm very quiet, disposed, and very soft-spoken. And that may be your personality type, but if you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ, and you know He's a Savior, you are rebellious, just like Satan is rebellious. And God's going to hold you to account for it. That's another thing. Rejection. Oh, Pastor, I'm not, I don't reject Jesus Christ. Yes, you do. If you're not serving the Lord, then you have rejected the Lord. Somebody hear me this morning. 
There's some people who say, you know what? I don't believe this prophecy stuff. I don't believe the Bible is God's word. I don't believe there's a resurrection. I don't believe that Jesus Christ was born the virgin, uh, virgin born son of Mary. And listen to me. You're going through all these questions and you're writing all these formulas. And I will tell you something. You still haven't served the Lord. You've rejected the Lord. And if you keep rejecting the Lord, one day He's going to reject you and say, Sorry, I never knew you. But my mother knew you. Sorry, I never knew you. But I was coming one day. Sorry, I never knew you. Reprobation. Some people have heard the gospel so many times, they become gospel hardened. And every time we say no to the invitation to come to Christ, makes it harder to say yes. You heard me, didn't you? Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, service after service, invitation given. We know it's right. But every time we grab that pew and our knuckles turn white and we know we ought to step out, we're saying to the devil, you're my Lord. And we're becoming reprobate. There's another factor here. It's this thing of reflection. Pastor, I want some time to think, think it over a little bit longer. Friends. Are you not aware that every day that you take to think it over, every hour you take to think it over... You are moving closer and closer to eternity. And every day or hour you you refuse to receive Christ because you want to think it over. You're moving closer and closer to hell. And whoever told us we're going to live to be a hundred anyhow? Reasoning. Pastor, let me reason this out a little bit. This just isn't a good time. Pastor, I don't want to get saved when the Bottom's falling out of my barrel or I'm at the bottom of the heap and my world is at the lowest point. I, I, I want to get saved when I can make a difference. Listen. That's why Jesus came because you can't save yourself and you can't make a difference on your own. That's why He came to give you free salvation to get you out of the pit of despair and put you on the mountain of praise. All this reasoning. Listen. What if I was wrong? I wouldn't have missed a thing. If I was wrong about all this, I'm still glad I'm serving Jesus. If I was wrong about all this, I'm still glad I read my Bible. I'm still glad I prayed. I'm still glad I came to church. But I'm not wrong about all this. I can take a chance if I'm wrong about believing all this. But it's changed my life, so there ain't nothing wrong about it. Okay, it's not made up for me. I'm not hyping you up. I, I knew what I was before the Lord found me, and I knew what I could have been if He hadn't found me. And I know what I am and where I'm going now, and I got hope that this world can't give me. So I'm not wrong about this, and compared to re- the rest of the multiple millions of people in the world. But what if you are wrong about it? What if you're wrong? Well, if you don't believe the Bible, and don't believe in Jesus, and don't believe in the coming of Christ, then your chances would be over eternally. And then there are people who say, I got one more party I got to go to. I got one more drink I got to have. One more sexual encounter, feel good I got to have. Reviling and revelry. Revelry. Got one more. I'm young now. Got a lot of time. 
I've been preaching this gospel for 24 years and pastoring this church for this amount of time. And I have buried people from the cradle to the 90s. And none of them knew when their last breath would be. So in the midst of all this party, frolicking, living it up, I'm only once, reach for all the gusto you get. Remember the devil has your number. One more thought. Refusal. Do you know that delay, delaying to make a decision for Christ is denying Christ? Yes. There's no middle ground. To wait and delay, you've already made a decision. Delaying is denial. And I beseech you, be ready. Stand everybody.